This place was built on. That's what our community is founded on. Don't act like the example, just be the example. This is the home of the greatest fitness community in the world. We're trying to create strong, able bodies, resilient to injury with a gas tank to get shit done. If there's one thing from this podcast about taking media action, find the problem, fix the problem, this is your opportunity. It's either a hell yes or a fuck no. It's that simple. <laughs> now is the time to take action. Now's the time to do more and be more. must have been pretty good too yes vertical is really good i think his vertical was 37 38 inches yeah you had posted that thing on instagram yeah. like, holy jesus and man like power clean 305 pounds and did they actually test that there they didn't test that but he got say, 13 reps on the bench and he's he's doing really well that's great to hear it's really great to hear we're on just so you know when he claps that means we're on Oh, okay. <laughs> so we're officially on now. We're officially on. Do you need anything okay. before we get started? No, I'm good. If I would have known I had a birthday cake for you. Yeah. Hit, I don't know if I have enough at candles. Age, yeah, at this age, you don't need a birthday cake. <laughs> so welcome to Tango One Podcast, everybody. I'm sure you recognize the voice of my guest already because he is a three or four time guest. One of my favorite people in this county. I t- my kids are like, who are you going to interview today, Dad? And I'm like, I'm like, it's a legendary Windsor coach. So... <laughs> For sure, you're, loosely, for sure you're getting my vote when it comes to uh, the Windsor Hall of Fame, but uh, man, I'm, I'm happy to have you here. So we got Jimmy McDougal. He's, uh, you know, 35, what are you, 35 years almost now? It's teaching? teaching? No, 28. 28, 28 I was going to say. Two thought, more to go. Two well, more but it's 30, over 35 years of coaching, right? Coaching, yes. Right. So when you've coached everything, basically every sport under the sun. Yes. Which was funny because this is kind of how this podcast came about. I reached out to you about coaching my kids and I yep. thought, you know what, what a better what a better conversation to have because we've really never talked about youth sports at a at a length. We've talked about uh, teens, we've talked about how to train athletes, but we've never really talked about you know youth sports. And I think I've seen some things already in my little bit of involvement that uh, <laughs> that I think you can shed some light on and give give your wisdom on. For sure, it's it's one of those avenues I think where sometimes as coaches you want to do the best job you can, but then there's pressure, and the pressure you'll feel as a coach is. You'll feel pressure from the other parents. You'll feel pressure from your coaching staff, and you're going to feel pressure from your kids. And you always have to understand, I think, that your coaches, as long as they understand your philosophy, should be on board. The parents, I believe, you have to first educate and highlight what your philosophy is going to be at the beginning and kind of use it like a sales technique. You have to sell your philosophy to the parents because ideally at the end of the day with youth sports, it's about fun and enjoyment. And everybody will get caught up from time to time in the score and what your record is. But the ultimate goal should be how many of the kids that play on your team sign up to play next year. Yes. And that's a big goal as a coach that you should have. And how many kids can authentically say at the end that that was an enjoyable, positive experience and I was age appropriately treated. Or I was treated like a 12 year old because they are 12 years old. Or they're treated like a nine-year-old because they are nine years old. 
It does not matter how athletic a kid is, how tall or how big a child is at that age in sports. We have to treat them age appropriately because ultimately that's the level they are maturity wise. So we can do all we want about doing the latest NFL football training with these kids or NHL doing what Connor McDavid does. But these kids don't have the mental maturity to be able to handle that. And that's the key is, is it has to be athlete child focused. Yeah, I love a couple of things you said too, and I want to uh, unpack that a little bit. So first of all, Jimmy is a coach, coach teacher at Kennedy. Um, you've been, you've taught more than one place. You taught mm -hmm. the Amherst right here yeah, around the corner. Like I know that, a lot yeah. of, we hit a lot of the Amherst where people get excited every time we see you on there. And you're the uh, educational liaison at ETS, which is the, the fabulous facility that we recommend for any teen athlete to go to. So he knows this stuff. So one of the things you said, and I actually, I was contemplating doing this and I haven't done it yet. I just started Turtle Club Baseball. I told you I'm mm -hmm. starting to coach football, but we're part, we're, we're one game into Turtle Club Baseball. But I was like, you know what? I should actually have a meeting with the parents and discuss this. Because my goals with the kids are I want every single player, no matter what you know athletic ability they have or experience they have in baseball, to be better baseball players by the end. Yeah. But I, number one, I want them to create a positive association with this game. Yeah. Because I think – and to just sports in general. Because like you could – if you ruin them in baseball, they might not want to play you know volleyball or soccer or badminton Absolutely. or whatever that, that little interest is. And then the age-appropriate thing. I'm having a hard time remembering being that young in sports. Mm -hmm. And the ultimate thing, a lot of people forget what they were like when they were that age. Everybody wants to say as an adult, yes, when I was that age, I was this competitive and I used to work so hard. I'd practice out in the yard and these kids don't. Most of that is nonsense, in my opinion. Most people, <laughs> when they were that age, still didn't want to run to the outfield and back. In football, they didn't want to run around the goalpost three times. They wanted to play the game, and the games were fun more often than not. The practices were not as enjoyable. And I don't know if there was as many parents that were actually doing the things that they said that they were doing, because if they were, they'd have probably played at a much higher level. Yeah, I think, I mean, I coached Windsor Minor from, I don't know, 2001 to 2007, eight or something like that. So the, the last era, I had no kids involved, which made me like, it, it was probably a better position because I felt like I was like totally, you know, like everybody's even here for me. I don't know mm -hmm. any of these kids. I don't know the parents, nothing. I was a totally different age group. You know, I was in my young 20s. And uh, what you say is funny because I feel like there's a lot of middle linebackers out there. Yeah. Because everybody, every dad who would come to me is like, oh, yeah, yeah, I played high school. I was a linebacker. I'm like, yeah. really? Really? It's wild to me. So I You'll went, look much like a linebacker. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I could say something there, but I don't want to. <laughs> so I went from, you know, I was, this was a very successful high school coach at Amherst for a long time, and I had a great opportunity to go coach at the university. So oh, I, I forgot about your Lance yeah, stint, so too. I went to the University of Windsor and was assistant head coach and defensive coordinator there. And, you know, we had a great run there. And then the following year after I left the university, I coached my son's team when they were, and he, my son was 12, and it was with the Essex Ravens organization. It was a great organization, the Essex Ravens. But I shared my philosophy with the parents, and these parents ate me alive almost, where they thought I had three heads. What do you mean that we're not gonna have these guys running around the goalpost five times before practice? What do you mean you're not gonna do full-scale tackling with each other? We gotta teach these kids to be tough. And I was like, listen, we have to teach these kids to enjoy the game before we teach them to be tough. And then from the enjoyment, they can get enough confidence that we can start to do some low-level tackling drills and 
you know, we got to start this process slowly. And I had to have a big parents meeting to, I got a three page letter mailed to my house. And I know the person that mailed it and I've kept that kind of quiet all of these years. And if I was actually having a beer on this podcast, they might actually say their name, but I know who they are. <laughs> and, but I've kind of kept that quiet. And I realized that, you know what? You have to understand where people are coming from too. They want the best for their kids. They just don't know it. And so I try to educate them. And then just like when you teach high school, you'll get through to some and you won't get through to the others. And you know, we had an unbelievable year. And it's funny, my son, Brett, is now um, going into his third year at the University of Windsor. And he just was fortunate enough to play in the um, Canadian University East-West All-Star game. And one of the first things he texted me, it was in Hamilton, and he's like, Dad, you're not gonna believe this, but there's five players from the Brampton team that we played against when we were 12 years old that were at this actual game. Now that Brampton team was absolutely loaded. They had five kids that were at the CIS All-Star game, <laughs> and they had uh, John Meachie, who was a receiver at the University of Alabama, on that team, and he was just drafted in the first yeah. round in the NFL. And then there's another young man that plays defensive line at Arizona State. So this team was unreal. And most of the parents meeting, um, not to get too much into detail, but it was kind of comical. This team is loaded at 12, and how do you? They beat us 62 nothing. So it was almost <laughs> like a revolt. That the reason they beat us 62 nothing is because we're not running around the goalposts at the beginning of practice, and these kids aren't in good enough shape. I'm like, no. The dudes on that team are just way better than the dudes on this team right now. Well, I think a lot with parents is like they think that you have a reputation of a very energetic and energetic can be misunderstood as like the old school, like in your face, you know, like screaming yeah. and, the, you know, we've probably I'm going to speak for you. But I, I mean, the coach that grabs your face mask and rags all you mm -hmm. around and makes you feel like, you know, like a little bitch, basically. Yeah. Like that's not the those are not the experiences that I relished from football. I think football brought toughness. But I think when parents bring them to the to the diamonds or to the fields and they see me and my background, maybe my tattoos, my, my personality, they think I'm going to be there, the disciplinarian. And I do correct kids if they're behaving poorly on the baseball diamond, but I'm not going to do it in a way that's unbecoming. But also, like, if you're if you're not establishing discipline at home, like I think the coach should be complementing the values of the household, right? Like yes. maybe a little bit different. We're not all the same, but at least complementary towards the same like end goal. Mm -hmm. And if you're not disciplining at home and you're dropping them off at the field and expecting me to be the disciplinarian, all that's going to do is make them hate coming to sports because it's really easy at home and real shitty at practice, right? Like, do you that, agree? Totally. And it's like the. And again, I don't want to bash parents because that's there's just ninety five percent of the oh, we're parents. Creating are, a, we're creating awareness. Are, we're creating awareness. Well, are well intentioned people, but if your child comes to football practice and he's got the big jug of water that the mom put all the ice cubes in, and he's got a little snack tray with the sandwich in it and the crust cut off, and now you're expecting me to teach him how to be tough in an hour and a half. Come on. With the crust cut <laughs> off. Know, holy smokes. <laughs> if somebody handed you a sandwich with the crust cut off, what do you do with it? Oh, I don't know. It's been a while since I've had too many sandwiches. When I was a kid, all I used to eat is bologna and mustard sandwiches on white bread every day. That's so right. That's right. That. With saran wrap wrapped absolutely tightly. Absolutely. I was like laughing at this the other day at baseball because all these kids were like, can we get water? I'm like, we have been out here eight minutes. Yeah. And you need water. We used to get like one jug or juice. 
yeah. in the morning. <laughs> and that was it. I don't we never walked around with a water bottle or containers of water. Oh. My kids, it's great. It's great to be hydrated in the fitness industry. We know this, but like, yeah. it's crazy the the like dependence that they have on this like little oh water bottle. I was a kid, it was just you drank out of a hose. <laughs> you played outside, you drank out of the hose. Crazy, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny yeah. so funny so like yeah i was recently heard somebody telling a story about you know being like uh disciplined for you know running laps for losing in a game at like you know you know 10 years old eight years old things like that i just that just doesn't happen and it sh- i don't think it should happen i don't think it should happen probably back then just because we did things you know back then in a certain way like we used to also sit next to the asbestos pipe in class and like pick yeah. at it like we don't do that anymore or eat like like bologna and processed the, cheese sandwiches. Yeah. Like we don't do those things and anymore. At the so end why would you? Today it doesn't work. Right. Like if running around the goalposts, I'm a competitive dude. If running around the goalposts six times after a loss is going to correlate to a win next week, listen, I'm all for it. But there's, it just doesn't work. It just creates more misery, a more negative response to the experience, less enthusiasm at practice. And if you want to be negative with, or you know that time when the kids need a little verbal tongue lashing. Do it after a win, when their confidence is really high. If you do it after a win and everybody, you know, you gotta knock them down and hey, listen, we, yeah, we won 21 to seven, but we can play so much better. Like we missed this block, we missed this catch in the outfield um, in baseball. Kids are more receptive when their confidence level is high. When they're already beaten down by getting beat 24 nothing or six nothing in a baseball game, for us to tell the kids, you know, you guys were lazy in there, we weren't mentally prepared, it's going to be like a double whammy on their psyche. And if you even look at the highest levels of sport now, there's a big transformation to that old school coach, the Mike Keenans in hockey, the Bill Belichicks in football, and the new age coach as an understanding of athlete psychological needs. And that's why a guy like Sean McVay and Pete Carroll are the new age coaches of, you know, high level sports. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury, who's the head coach, he was at Texas Tech and now he is the head coach at the Arizona Cardinals. And in a sport like the NFL where winning is the only thing that matters and people's jobs and careers are on the line based on only the scoreboard, Cliff Kingsbury still in practice gives the players every 20 or 30 minutes a five minute break to go check their phones because he understands the audience that he's working with and he understands that these NFL players, although they're worth millions of dollars, are still 21 to 31 years old and they have, uh, not an addiction, but they have, they need to be on their phones all the time. They need to check their social media and stuff and it's important (laughs) for them. So if it's important for them, understand the audience and you know, it's, it's shown to, and I'm not saying, you know, go check your phone or go on TikTok to eight-year-old baseball players, but it speaks to meeting the athletes where they're at and having an understanding of where they're at in their development and acting appropriately. So I'm assuming a lot of people listening have, like, you're probably in my age group, probably got kids around the same size or same size, same age. And uh, one thing I'd like to pick your brain about, too, because you've been there as a father and probably as a coach, is uh, travel sports. Travel sports at like eight years old, seven years old, uh, like my my boys had the opportunity to play this year, and it's it's five nights a week, from mm-hmm. April until I, I I might misspeak here until I think September with like four or five tournaments away. Uh, the cost you can just that the cost is a whole other issue, but like I think for me personally is like 
and a lot of parents I hear, I make the argument, I'm like, I don't want to put my boys in that. You know, I just feel like it's too much at this age and I want them to enjoy and have summers. And but he says, you know, yeah, they, they, but they love it. But my opinion is, yeah, of course they love it, but they would also very much love just to ride their bikes or play road hockey or, you know, play sandlot ball in my backyard or just, you know, shoot water guns or, you know, shoot the slingshot at rabbits. Like they would love yeah. to do anything. And I feel like we're taking that away from our children and kind of like creating like if you're in school from all day and then you come home for 20 minutes and you come your parent i mean i would know them i would have to rush home from the gym rush to this practice and then they're back in front of adults again like it's all controlled is what i think i think we're taking something away from kids with that yeah and i think i I know it's a touchy subject i know you coach a lot of travel kids i just think that it's almost impossible to unring that bell because in a perfect world i would agree if you wanted a child to be the best 16, 17 year old hockey player or 18 year old football player, when it comes time to get a scholarship or get drafted in the OHL, the best way to do that is to expose them to a wide variety of activities and play outside and understand all those things. But in the real world, if I have an, let's say a 10 year old boy and, and I adopt that philosophy, at the end of the school day when he comes home or she comes home, most of their friends are involved in this cycle as well and they're all playing sports and they're all traveling five nights a week so yes my son or daughter can go out and play in the backyard maybe with their brother or sister or by themselves but there's not many other people to play with that are like-minded people because they're all in that same sort of uh, hamster wheel chase as well and what ends up happening is they just sit playing video games or yeah, I find it so and disheartening. It's, it's kind of tough. It, I find it, it so disheartening. It's like one, there's three levels of travel, so it's not really travel. Yep. You know, like every kid, like these kids are not like some of these kids that are playing travel are, are not what I would think the travel, uh, you know, equivalent, I guess, is lack of. And then in House League, it's made the leagues very difficult yes. because of the level of play. Like, I think like, I like, think like a lot of these kids would benefit from having more talented kids, and the talented kids would benefit from you know, helping to lead and get more out of the kids who don't and helping like kids who maybe don't have the confidence to feel welcome. Cause like when your kid plays well in these house leagues, they're like, you should be in travel. And yeah. it's like, almost like, oh, come on, just let my kid play. It's you're caught in a rock between a rock and a hard place sometimes as a parent, I think, because let's say you have a nine year old son and he's trying out for the double A hockey team. You're not going all in with triple A. You're just want to make the regular double A hockey team. If you don't do all of the things like the extra skating camps and the extra, you know, personal development stuff, which may be beneficial for your child in the long run not to do those things, but if you don't do those things in the immediate moment, then there's a pretty good chance that they might not make that double A team. And then it's another rabbit hole you got to go down where you see your child get cut. And that's always a difficult thing. Even for me, my, my son got cut couple of different times from double a and end up playing AE hockey and it's hard for to see your son go through that and it's hard even as a parent you're very disappointed even for somebody like me who believes you know and everybody should play a bunch of different sports and we're not worried about how good you are at eight years old or ten years old it's still a tough process to go through and I think that that's why parents get the big bucks because it's not an easy role. <laughs> that is true. It's not that an is easy true. job to navigate. That is true. I'm wondering sports. if, that's like, my my strategy, I love sports and I want my kids to, I want my kids to excel in sports. I think sports is a lot of reasons why I've done the things I've done in this world. And But I, my, my parents, did. we didn't have it, I guess, when I was a kid unless you played hockey. Yep. So I it really didn't dive in all into sports until I was, like, 14, you know. And then it was probably really good because it kept me 
from getting into some shit. For sure. But right. At the same time, when you started doing that at 14, you weren't burnt out because yes. of doing it at eight, nine, right. 10, 11, 12. So it was a novel thing for you. You yeah. almost felt this is awesome because it's, it's, it wasn't a regular occurrence in your life. So then from 14 to 19, 20, 21, where there, you know, sports kind of really matters in terms of future opportunities, yeah. you were all in. And if maybe you had started playing when you were eight years old on that track, by the time you're 14, you might've been burnt out. Or maybe I would have gone pro, right? Who yeah. knows? Yeah. Or I would have grown three, four inches and gone pro. Yes, and that becomes a genetic <laughs> thing where you just blame your parents. Yeah, I yeah. Parent one time. I'm like, listen. Come on, mom, you're listening to this podcast. My son doesn't make the NHL. It's not because I didn't give him six-foot genetics. So if your son doesn't make the NHL, it's your fault because you're too short as a dad. Because <laughs> your kid's real good. <laughs> I just, I'm wondering if I can keep my kids caught up. This is my, this is my plan right now. Yeah. Keep my kids caught up. From the social standpoint, no problem. From the athletic standpoint, we're just having fun in the backyard like the three of us. I'm hoping that I can keep them caught up enough where when they get to 13, 14, they're still able to compete with those same kids when they do try out for those same yeah. teams. And the goal has got to be, like, let's make it call it spade a spade. Yes, like, absolutely. The goal is not to produce a professional athlete. No. Because professional athletes produce themselves. They're hardwired, these dudes. And you can't create that hardwired attitude. You have to really, really love it. And there's, I say to parents all the time, when their fourth kid comes in and they're 14 years old, I'm saying, okay, let's pretend, you know, parents always say the same thing, you know, I don't know if I, you know, I'm just, I want him to have fun and I'm not thinking he's gonna be in the NHL, but in the back of their mind, there's always the dream in the yeah. <laughs> And I'm not here to squash anybody's dreams. I'm here to say, dream that dream, as long as that dream can still be alive, okay? But understand this, if that dream is ever going to come into fruition at 19 years old, they have to be loving this stuff at 19. And if they're not loving it at 14 and 15, it's very difficult to get them to love it at 19. But if we create a process where at 14 they love it, and at 15 they're still loving it, and at 16 they're still loving it, you wouldn't believe the simple games of Simon Says and Rock, Paper, Scissors that I will play with university athletes that I work with that they just love. And say, hey, can we play Simon Says? And I'm like, oh my God, yeah, for sure. And we're playing <laughs> Simon Says, we're playing rock, paper, scissors, and they love it. And I'm the greatest Simon of all time. I'm undefeated. undefeated. <laughs> so we talk about being hardwired. If you were to ask me who's the most intense, most competitive person I know, it would be a tough, tough line between you and Luke Wilson. So the, the two of you are two peas in a pod, man. It, you know what? There's, I think that there's. Luke different... does say you're a psycho. He says, yeah, and I'm kind of crazy. He's like, do not. Do not wrestle that man. Well, I'll show you an example I am not of the different right here, levels that's what you're going for. of competitiveness. I'll give you two <laughs> quick examples. One, I was a you know pretty good wrestler at one point in my life. So, but the, it's like riding a bike. You kind of still understand kinesthetic awareness and bodies in space and stuff. So Luke and I got into a little wrestling match on a Tuesday, right? And it was almost a draw. And Luke at the end, he was kind of surprised a little bit. And he said, hey, send me the video of that wrestling match because somebody had videoed it. So on Thursday, he comes back in. He's like, okay, we'll go again. This guy, who's a Super Bowl champ, could have played three professional sports, got into a little bit of a draw with a 52-year-old man. And he went home and broke down the tape. He broke down the tape. And then he comes in two days later. And because obviously he's way bigger, stronger, faster, more explosive, and more athletic, and more mentally tough than I am. I mean, he beat 
the snot out of me. <laughs> he beat the snot out of me so bad. Not like I wasn't injured, but I was so exhausted from getting my ass kicked for an hour, for, and it was probably half an hour. I couldn't work. I had to go home. And I went home, I slept till the next day. I was destroyed. <laughs> so here's a guy, Luke is so competitive that he looks back and says, okay, that guy got a little too close to my company. That guy thinks he's good, I'm gonna show him. And he broke the tape and he... So that shows you different love. And the second one, I'm telling you, I work out with the same guy every morning, Chris Robocamba, he's one of my favorite people. I've learned more about different groups of people and what it's like to grow up in his environment and how he grew up. And um, he came over from Rwanda and went to Herman, became a valedictorian. Herman uh, was a captain at Duke uh, University, got a full ride scholarship to Duke, went to a few NFL camps, played nine years in the CFL, and long story, he had a master's degree in business at Duke, and is a very successful human being. But we'll compete, and you know, I think that I'm mentally tough, and you know, and we're on the same level in some things, but when we have a real competition, he beats me by like this much all the time. And the reason he beats me by that much is he's just a little more used to being under the bright lights than I am because of the experiences that he's had. And that's why he played at Duke and I played at the University of Windsor. Like, because he's <laughs> just better than I am. But even in activities that we are equal in, his mentality is just a shade better. And if you compare to him to people that are, you know, to Tom Brady, you know, it's, there's small levels of things that, you know, back to youth sports that parents don't understand the mentality that it takes to be a successful professional athlete. And most of that mentality is hardwired at a young age. And some of those variables can be taught, but a lot of it is just who you are as a human being, I believe. Yeah, I agree with you. I haven't been as, around as many as you have, but I have been around some, some great, you know, guys who have gone on and done some great things like in mm -hmm. the NFL and such, you know, Luke being one of them and Brett Romberg and some of these yep. guys, like there, there's, there is something different about them and the way they there move, is. the way they carry themselves, yeah. you know, the way that, the way that they hitch in practice. I'll tell you that. <laughs> but, yeah. And they're not all like Luke where they're all crazy and wound up right, and stuff. Right. Like Jake Robson is a baseball player. He's been up and down with the Tigers. Um, yeah. He's one of the best athletes I've ever been around. He's 5'9", 185 pound guy fucking jump out of the gym is crazy explosive and back to the you know parents thing if you talk to Jake and we've had conversations about it, he said when he was in grade 11 he said my goal in sports was I thought I had a legitimate chance to be a libero at the University of Windsor volleyball team and all of a sudden in grade 11 he kind of has a good year playing baseball he makes the Canadian world junior team but that was never on his radar just playing sports for the fun of playing sports was on his radar and not looking for some sort of payoff at the end and I think it's, you can be, I'm just thinking of this off the cuff right now. Like if you equate it to helping somebody, if I helped you because I just authentically have a relationship with you, not thinking of the return that I'm going to get. Okay, if I help Tony now, then down the road, he's got a big truck and he may be able to help me move or do something back for me. That then it's not true and authentic. Right. Same thing with sports. If you're playing the sport just because you love it, that's the trait, that's the, feedback that you want as, as opposed to doing the sport so that there's some payoff down the road. The people that make it are doing it because they love it, not because they think, oh, if I keep doing this, I can get a Division One scholarship. They're playing the sport because they love it, and if the D1 opportunity happens, it happens. And that's what I find with most elite athletes. They just love the process. So kind of shift gears, but not totally. Football. I'm starting yep. to coach football. 
football is a dying sport around here. It seems yep. it's it's kind of it, it hurts my heart yep. to to watch and to see that you know like you know like Luke's school, my old school that didn't even have a football team like the the last straight before COVID, right? Like mm-hmm. didn't even have a senior team at Villanova, and this sport is 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 really falling apart in a lot of ways because of the bad vibes it's got. COVID, I think, didn't help to kind of like sink the ship. And that's one of my, one of the reasons I wanted to get into coaching is hopefully yep. we can raise some love for the game and get some kids to, you know, some good athletes to actually want to maybe hold off on playing whatever. Maybe it's whatever sport crosses over to play a little football and see if, what do you think about this? Like, is this, is this just, or is this, you know, like, I, I don't, is it more dangerous really than hockey? No. Like I don't think so, don't or soccer, it, or like no, if it's most, coached right, or I mean, there's accidents. Right. Baseball, even I, I saw a ball whiz by a kid's head the other day. I almost fucking shit myself. Yep. Right, like what do you? Th- what's your the most there? concussions still occur in girls' soccer because their necks heads. are weak in relationship to the size of their heads, and you know they've taken steps where they've outlawed heading the soccer ball at younger ages, um, and it's helped curb that. I do believe is football a more dangerous sport than, you know, parents, oh, I'm not going to let my kid play football, but then they buy him a dirt bike. You know, it's, it's the same type of thing. I think that football is the greatest sport in the world to teach delayed gratification because you have so many practices and you play one game a yeah. week. It's not like playing basketball where you might play in a tournament on a weekend, play 10 games or eight games in the weekend. Um, it is the greatest sport for accepting all bodies. Yeah, I was going to say that. Because if you're the small, fast kid, there's a place for you. If there's a big, strong, you know, you're kind of a heavier set kid, there's a place for you. Plus, there's 12 opportunities on offense, 12 opportunities on defense, 12 opportunities on punt, punt return, kickoff, kick return. You think of the number of opportunities there are to get kids into a game. And then because of the nature of the sport, it's one of the more demographically diverse sports that we have where it is affordable for everybody. Um, we have people of all races doing it. And I think that the understanding that kids get about different backgrounds is important through football and just the level of work that goes into it. Now, to answer your question, I think that football has kind of taken, you know, there's been less participation for a number of reasons. One that I think is a smaller one than we realize is parents thinking that it's too dangerous. I believe that the biggest difference is our school boards not hiring coaches. And this is, you know, I'm, I know I'm a teacher. I think that if there was more emphasis on hiring great coaches, because you can't be a great coach unless you're a great teacher. And we have less and less coaches in the high school as a whole. And there are so many people that didn't play minor football but all of a sudden get introduced to high school football yeah. and get into high school. First time I played and football was in high school, like yeah. really football. Like I played with my kid, more of my friends, but I never played high school yeah, until I played high school football. Put a helmet passionate on. coaches at every school because as you understand, when you coach a high school sport, it's tough if you're not a teacher because all the practices start at three o'clock and how many people have a job they can get off every day at three o'clock. Then they're not seeing the kids in the hall. The amount of kids that I have recruited out of the hallway over the years, you see a body type, you're like, oh my God, you're gonna come over football? Pat Osborne, who's our basketball coach, his son was a late developing kid um, and then uh, came over to Kennedy from Forster when they closed Forster and he was 6'5", athletic basketball player. And I tried to get, I told Isaiah, um, to come out for football he had never played before and I'm like listen this is the rule I'm going to make with you you're going to play receiver and if any 
coach tells you, you got to go block that guy, you say, nope, Mr. McDougal said it didn't happen. <laughs> and all we're going to do is have you run down the field and throw bombs to you and you just out jump everybody. It's like, oh my God, yeah, this is a great idea. So he comes out and, you know, he gets a little confidence with getting a few catches. And now that he gets the confidence, now I'm going to say, hey, I say, you want to go block that guy? Oh yeah, I'll go block that guy now. But if I tried to start with, you know, this is a tough physical game, only be played by the toughest men. I say, like, listen, 72 degrees in the gym every day, man. This is way, I'm not coming out here in the cold and playing this. Quick play. whistles here, yeah. quick whistles protected. But he turned out to be an all-city wide receiver and easily could have played football in university because he was an athlete. Football, if you're an athlete, you can play that sport. And, um, but I do think that the Essex Ravens have done a great uh, great job. And yeah, they've done a fabulous you know, job over there. Uh, of introducing kids to sports. They've started, you know, touch football stuff. Um, it's a great organization. I've coached in it, uh, and my son played in it. And I think that it's a little bit less successful because you've got to drive out to Villanova where they practice at, and it may not be as opportunistic as all of the great high school programs that we had in the past. But... Um, it is still a great program, and if your kids want to play football, it's it's a great organization. Yeah, so you think it's gonna pretty much we're gonna shift to club football, I guess. I you think call that it? sports as a whole is kind of shifted to begin with towards a more club model, just to save on the costs and and I don't and the, know. And coaching. I mean, there's a lot that goes into coaching. I mean, you guys are already teachers. You know, we all make fun of teachers in the summer break and stuff, but like staying two hours every single it's, a, it's an every single night thing like it and not to mention the games are you're going to be home at eight o'clock and if you got your own families i understand that commitment and yeah coaching i coached at villanova basketball when i first left and i was a policeman at the time and you know but i was able to get home get there and, and run it but it was like man you're talking like three hours like two hour practice hour and a half practice like but yeah. by the time you pack up the shit and like unpack the stuff it's and, a big commitment it's yeah. a big commitment especially if you're not a teacher at the school and you know, if I looked at my high school days, which was a long time ago, and you looked at the landscape of the city, um, every school had a, like, that guy's the basketball coach, and he had coached yeah. passionately yes. for 20 years, and that guy's the football coach, and that guy's the track coach, and uh, there was a, more people doing stuff in the schools. And then secondly, one of the big issues we have in high schools is these kind of super teams and we're a product of that. I teach at Kennedy and we get so many kids transfer into Kennedy or leave their school because the basketball at our school is run at a more, at a higher level. But when I look back, and that's a tribute to Pat Osborne and Jeff Necker, Steve Savaggio, who are our basketball coaches. But when I was in high school, if I looked across the landscape, there was a Pat Osborne at every high school. Right. And so there was no need to go to the school down the road to provide a better opportunity because I was getting one at my local high school. It's true because when you played in grade school, you'd go to the high schools for the tournaments and you'd know the coaches, where they were from. Mm -hmm. Then you played. You played against those coaches through your junior and then senior. Yep. And then coming back to coach yeah. and being in the schools, you know, with the police uh, the police teams back in the day and just being in the schools is a cop, you would still see those same, and you were one of them, mm -hmm. you'd still see those same faces and you're like, oh, I think he was at somewhere else before, but it was the same guys and they're still coaching, you know, the Len Canes of the world and you and yep. uh, the Lobacks and there's so many great coaches. Yeah, uh, sovereigns. There's legendary yeah. names in, in high school sports, especially in the city of Windsor. Like, you know, I was so fortunate to have Billy Simmons who was, you know. Oh man, Billy, he was. Oh, he was a, 
legendary figure yes and sandwich athletics legendary. absolutely and he, i coached with him at ako and uh he, at that point he had kind of retired from coach he was the coach's coach is yeah. what we call him that's why i tried to recruit you I, yeah. I needed a coach's coach i need somebody to coach me to coach and he was there to calm things down and to like yeah for, bring, and bring levity talk and, about full circle for yeah. that guy to be coming yeah i know around, right holy smokes talk about those old school guys that would grab you by the face mask Jim, are you going to play basketball for me this year, son? Because if you behave like that, you're going to have basketball marks all over your face. <laughs> so, and but you respected that. that guy was at my wedding. Like, he's just, I love Billy Simmons and, you know, Dave Newman and Dave Lynn and Mike Gloucester and Steve Champco. And, you know, all these people ran their own sports with the passion you know, for 30 years and Evan Wright, like, and it was hard to be the senior basketball coach because you had to be, you had to coach junior for 15 years for the senior guy to retire before you would get an opportunity. Yeah. Now, holy smokes, I get some sports in high school on the athletic director. It's like, okay, you're a uh, orange pylon. I'll let you coach because I have nobody else. Like, you know, it doesn't matter who you are. We just need a, a adult that's breathing sometimes because I just don't have anybody else from time to time. So, but I say that, but most more often than that at my school, we're very, very fortunate because of the support of the administration that we have great people in our building that do a great job, so. See, the way I'm looking at it, like my, my coaches were my references to get in the police department. They're guys that I still keep in touch with. And I think that for me, I'm looking at it, I'm running these blast camps, right? And I'm trying to, you know, cause men are struggling, men are like, there's a lot of problems in our, like men are, we're the ones causing violent crime. We're the ones that are killing ourselves. We're the mm -hmm. ones that are, in a lot of ways, not making decisions, not doing things, not setting the right examples. So I'm wearing these blast camps to try to help men do that. And I'm like, man, if I could just help some kids when they're a little bit younger to have that confidence. Yep. It's, to me, it's not about the sport right now. It's about like developing good young people, good mm -hmm. young men, good young men, because I'm coaching like little boys, right? Yep. But you know, get a good little girl in there too. I'll do my best with her, but you know. My goal with the two sons and then the program I'm running, what I truly believe is really hurting us in the world right now, which is us, yep. our, our breed, our gender. I think we're struggling. We need to get some things done and build some little one bit One thing, there's a line in a movie. The movie's called Crash. Now, there's two Crash movies. One of them is by David Cronenberg, which is kind of out there. But there's one with Matt Dillon and uh, Ludacris is in there. and it's, it, it's an unbelievable Did not expect you to drop Ludacris as one of the, <laughs> as one of the lead actors. Just showing your, yeah, your ability. <laughs> it's a phenomenal movie. It's one of my favorite movies. But at the beginning of the movie, they say that, you know, it happens in L.A. And they say that, you know, everywhere we go, we're behind glass. And, you know, we're separated so much. And then I think that coronavirus exaggerated all that. And... There's so much separation between people, the six foot, we gotta be a distance. And if we take a look, and I'm just spewing here, I'm no psychologist by any stretch of the imagination, but women will hug one another because it's what they do is they see one another, they give each other a big hug and they get that physical touch. Men are more hesitant to do that. And I think that if we did that more, like kind of that, I love the idea of that bro hug, you know, the, you kind of give a handshake and a hug that I think that those types of things are important for connection. We do a thing at ETS where everybody that walks in and everybody that leaves, you got to be able to fist bump everybody. And, um, I think that just that physical touch of a connection, and I don't know if I talked about this on the last time, but, um, there was a psychologist that studied the NBA and, um, she, it was a female psychologist and she studied every game in the NBA, but she didn't know the score. 
so she didn't have the score on the screen. The only thing she touched or she counted were the physical touches between teammates, fist bumps, chest bumps, pat on the back, pat on the ass, whatever it was. And let's say it was the Detroit Pistons and the Chicago Bulls. She counted how many touches cumulatively the Pistons had versus the Bulls. 96% of the games were won by the teams that physically touched each other the most. That's wild. And the, the sidebar of that would be, okay, you'd say, okay, if I make a three, I'm more likely to get a high five or right. a fist bump. So is this a real relative study? But they also found that if I missed a three and I got a fist bump, I'm more likely to make the next three. So if you look, watch the NBA and a guy takes a foul shot, after every foul shot, everybody goes over and gives him a high five. So if he makes the foul shot, he's probably more likely to make the next one. And if he misses the foul shot because of all these high fives, physical touch, connection, his performance is going to improve. And it's interesting, this happened to me yesterday. Oh, day today, Friday. So it would have happened two days ago. It was the day after the shooting in Texas. And sat my kids down and I talked about the, the need and the importance to support each other. I teach in a real wide demographic school, all mixes of races, cultures, religions, everything. I said, it's just important for us to support one another more. No matter where we come from, we need to support one another more. And then in our gym class, we divide the class into three divisions. The really competitive, the recreational, and then I call it the super recreational. <laughs> Which, I mean, these guys struggle dribbling. And I have a child with autism in there. He's 14 years old. And he's in the super rec division, and he's amazing. Nicest kid in the world. And, uh, and everybody loves him. So he gets the ball, and he throws one up, and he gets a three. And everybody goes crazy because he hits the three. And he's smiling. He's giving the fist bump. And then the ball gets circled around again. The ball lands in his hand. He hits a second one. Now the kids go even crazier. And now they get the ball back as it's possession in basketball. They get the ball back. I'm not kidding. You hit five threes in a row. And the place is going. It's erupting. And I said, I stopped the class. I'm like, stop right now. Everybody come over. I said, sit down. Scotty, are you a good basketball player? Oh, no, I'm terrible basketball player. <laughs> I said, I don't think anybody ever would mistake Scotty for LeBron James. But look what happened after he was successful and people supported him. Look at how successful he was on the next shot. And the only thing that changed was the amount of support that he felt from his peers in the group. It actually improved his performance and improved the smile on his face. And I'm sure that it improved his mental outlook of the day. That's for sure. Yeah, man, that's a, that's a wonderful story. Yeah. I just did a lecture last week actually at a team leader course. And part of my, you know, my advice to them was physical contact. Like yep. to go around the room and actually put your hand on a guy's shoulder when you're mm -hmm. saying like, Hey, how's it? Can I help you? Or yep. how are things going? How was your, like, how'd that go for you? How are you feeling about that? And just put your hand on somebody's shoulder. And when they walk in the gym too, that's another huge thing for me. I walk around and I tell the coaches that you'll see me actually physically make contact with every single person in this gym. Mm -hmm. That's part of this. It's innate to humans. It's like yep. where we are a tribe, right? From the yes. tribe days. And it's important to like get that. And I think that was definitely a, a struggle in the last couple of years ago i continued to operate like that and i was getting looked at like i was like a freak right some yeah, point I, was, even, I didn't stop hugging right Irv? drove Irv crazy no but it's even <laughs> one of those things that it's a sad state but back to the youth coaching thing there's that fine line because right, there's right, been right. so many instances where those lines have been blurred or crossed that we you know we understand the importance of it but what's appropriate 
what's not appropriate, um, and sometimes putting your arm around a kid makes that child feel really uncomfortable, maybe because of experiences that they've had in their lives. So it's important to understand where every kid is coming from. And that's why I think the fist bump is so good because, you know, it's positive, it's a connection, it shows each other that we're, you know, we're on the same page, but it doesn't ever blur those lines across those barriers that, you know, people could get the wrong idea, which, you know, in today's day and age, it just, it's unfortunate, but those are the rules we have to play by because, you know, and I'm not saying they're wrong, but just it's it's what's necessary sometimes. Yeah, agreed. So speaking of being, uh, you know, ready, planning and, and things like that and, and uh, you know, uh, courageous men. So you had quite the uh, quite the incident that's happened recently. And I actually have not heard this story other than a couple of lines from you on a text. And I sent you like, a mm-hmm. you know, a great job and proud of you type thing. But man, if you wouldn't, if I don't know if it's too much for you, don't. No, it's but... not too much. Um, it's. Uh... You know, it was pretty emotional. So it's just after uh, high school sports were allowed to go on, and uh, it was our first game in our gym. There were still no parents allowed to be in the stands. So the game was played in an empty gym, and our junior boys team was playing St. Anne's. It's on basketball. In basketball. Our junior boys team and a young man who actually was in my physical education class, phenomenal young man's on the basketball team. So as the athletic director, I went up to the game and I watched most of the first half. There's three minutes to go in the half. And I hadn't eaten in about eight or nine hours. I was starving. So I'm like, okay, I'll go to the, uh, get something to eat. Then I'll come back for the senior game. So to talk about things going full circle is I walked out into the parking lot. And as I was getting into my car, there were two African dads that were sitting, you know, outside the car. And they asked me, they happened to be from kids of St. Anne's, their parents, their dads. And they asked me, you know, how long's the game gonna be? I said, well, it's almost half time. Um, and then the senior game's gotta take place. So it'll be probably two hours. And they're like, ah, we can't go into the gym and blah, blah, And I just instantly thought of my workout partner, Chris Robocombo, who came over from Rwanda and we built this great connection. And I thought, you know what, how bad? And Chris's dad passed away when he was eight. And I'm like, these guys are over here trying to make a better life for the family. Wouldn't Chris love to watch his dad watch him play and wouldn't Chris's dad love to see his son play and I just felt a moment of connection with the two dads and I just said as crazy as this was I'm like you know what screw it I'll sneak into the gym and I'll just put you up in the bleachers I'll violate the COVID rules just don't tell anybody when I was letting them in the building I'd taken two steps into the door and my junior basketball coach was there and he was white as a sheet and he said Jimmy's having a heart attack and I don't know what to do and I ran in and in our dressing room, a uh, 15-year-old kid on my on our junior boys basketball team had went into sudden cardiac arrest. His heart had stopped. There's no pulse. Um, and, you know, people are wondering what to do. So I start CPR. And um, female referee, Mary, um, she's also trained in CPR. She was doing mouth-to-mouth while I was doing the chest compressions. And it was a frightening experience because it took us 90 compressions to get a pulse. And I went 32 breaths, no pulse, 32 breaths, no pulse. And I know I'm training CPR. I've never done CPR live, but I know the statistics and they're not great. So, but after 90 compressions, she said, we have a pulse. So now I'm getting AAD organized and we just, we lost him again. So now I'm back on his chest and then we got him back a second time. 
I hit him with the AED and he was good. And then we lost him again. And now I'm going back on his chest again. We get him back. I hit him with AED a second time. And um, that time the ambulance showed up and I'm happy to say he is in my class again. And uh, things worked out. He survived the incident. Um, he ended up going to Sick Kids in London for a little bit or in uh, Toronto. And then he ended up getting surgery in London they put a stint in his artery um, and it was an incredibly traumatic experience. I can't imagine going through that and not being successful because again, it's all, they say all is well, it ends well. And it was, you know, it was a happy ending. And just the emotional toll it takes is something I never realized because they put the young man on the gurney and the ambulance takes him away and you don't know whether he's gonna live or die. and. So you just get in the car and like, okay, what do I do now? Like go to get my subway? Like, what do I do? It's like, I got as far as Windsor Stadium and I pulled the car over and I just, for 30 minutes, I just broke down because it was very, very emotional. And, um, you know, it was a, one of the more, it was one of the more traumatic experiences I've ever been through. But yeah, it was a combination of, you know, just, I wouldn't have went back into that gym if it wasn't for the connection I had with my workout partner and our connection that we have working out has become so much greater than, you know, bench pressing and squatting. It's just a real, true, authentic friendship, even though he comes from the inner city, I come from the suburbs. Um, he is black, I'm white. He is a phenomenal athlete, and I was a marginally average athlete. And, <laughs> and I think I can swear on the podcast, yeah, the you only can. thing I can say about that motherfucker, Chris Robocumbo. <laughs> is he cost me my first city championship against Herman, which he likes to remind me of when we were up 14 to 10. <laughs> and he said, with about three minutes to go in the game, Jimmy Mack, you made the tragic mistake of kicking it to the African dude. And he went about 90 yards for a touchdown on us to beat us in the city championship. <laughs> but life comes full circle and we become great friends. So he's, a, he's an amazing person. I've learned so much from him. Man, what, like what you said, so the uh, one, uh, knowing where that AED is and like being prepared and having like some kind of plan. Like that is so key. Yeah. Did and you guys just to interject? Sorry, just cause I want to make it. Yeah. Yeah. Know no, that it was, there was a team of people involved. Yes. I was doing the chest compressions and then first aid, but there was a team of people getting the AED, somebody getting the ambulance because it's a tricky spot where we were at. How do you get the ambulance in there? Right. But it really was a team event. And, um, I believe that the, the success of that was we were all coaches and we were all used to listen. Nobody's ever operated in a high pressure situation like this before, but we're used to thinking calmly when the game is on the line and being able to understand what everybody's going through. And I think that it was critical that it was just, it was all coaches in there. I mean, really X's helped. and O's is tactics. I yeah. always said, like, I think like coaching football, offensive, you know, offensive coach of football really helped me with my, my next job, you know, in SWAT, mm -hmm. I think it helped me huge. And I think you're right there. And it's good that you outlined that there's so many people that were prepared to jump in. Yeah. Um, it takes, we talk about this at our camps. It's like, be the guy on the camera, not the one holding it, man. Like yeah. if there's anything I want of my sons or of people that stand with me on anything it's that like yeah. exactly what you do like 
you be the guy that's being filmed saving the life or the guy who steps up on the airline when there's somebody acting crazy mm-hmm. and like helps yeah. instead of the one who's holding the phone videotaping the whole ordeal totally. and that that's outstanding to hear that and the ad and being prepared and like you know people actually knowing where it is like i think that's a discounted like we do a we talk about it here you know every once a month or so we'll do up a, a video to the members like this is where stuff is you know or yeah. talk in the classes or make sure our like our obviously our trainers know what it is because you need to be prepared because when you need it you need it and the time to you know the time to prepare when it's time to act is yep. over right and you did it you jumped right in and that what you said about the driving around the corner in your car i can tell you that is 100 percent normal like because that's your adrenaline spike and then your adrenaline dump and like yep. when it comes out it just comes out man and there's no yeah there's no stopping it no, just let totally. it go it's, that's what i had to do i could have a control over it. yeah so for the next uh you know you know, uh, some things that happen after that too if anybody's listening like we just had somebody go through a real real like very scary capsized boat and like it is normal very normal to think about what could have happened what you know mm-hmm. what you could have done different like if it did end up in the bad way and it, that's a it's a scary thing for people so if you find yourself like irritable or like over emotional for day like go see somebody like don't just tough through and that's not just me advice for you but that's anybody who's listening because when somebody tells a story like this there's always somebody who's like thinking about that moment in their life because you go away from your story into like whoever your guy whoever your kid that was down you know like in whatever could have been anything right yeah it's um a lot of great people involved in making that happen including the young man because he's an amazing young man as well so is he clear for sport um he says he is i don't know if i, <laughs> if I pressed it right now yet but um yeah. it only happened i'm gonna say it was maybe march 22nd so it's very very recent um so yeah um but to think like the kid can dunk a basketball like he's already we you know he doesn't overexert himself but he can jump he can you know ride a bike a little bit and like he's, he's doing phenomenal it's like nothing ever happened that's good man that's outstanding and you know what i've always said you're a legend in this city you're gonna be a legend in the city but i mean if that doesn't lock it down you, you got the hero yeah. status and the you know very few people that can say they saved a life man and that's a that's a true yeah, thank you. Uh, it's good for you i'm proud of you i'm proud of you for jumping Appreciate in and everybody there and everything that you've and you know what thank you from everybody who's ever been coached by you or mentored by you because you've you've made a difference in my life you always do and you always will ah oh, thank you i appreciate that and it goes both ways like you know relationships i think are two-way streets and if you're a taker i say there are people that are energy takers or energy givers and if that relationship is one way where i'm just looking to gain something by our relationship i don't think that it's either authentic nor can that relationship last over a period of time and i think that that's sometimes even as a coach what we fail to realize is that if i build a strong relationship with an individual i will make them a better athlete and because they're going to trust me more and if they trust me more, they're willing to do the things that I ask them to do that are difficult even more. But if I start with how do I make you a better athlete and not start with how do I build a relationship with you, I think you're putting the cart before the horse. That's a great way to end it up. Everybody here, I mean, that's with all, that's like teams and business, teams at the school board, teams in, in the gym. Like that is yeah. teams in general, man. Like I think you, you hit the nail on the head. I think that's a great place to end it. I want to uh, talk about our sponsors a great team there Murray Insurance Desjardins Insurance they are uh, Southwestern Ontario's number one 
rated Desjardins Insurance Agency. Uh, they're run by Karen Ian, who are Kingsville OGGs, garage gym uh, favorites and, and fan favorites and supporters. So go see them if you need anything for your home, your finance, or your business. And of course, HQ Nutrition started off this podcast with some focus. I knew I would need the focus because Jimmy brings a lot of energy and I got I got to be on the ball because who knows where it can go. But yeah. you're you are a straight line today. Oh, thanks. It was awesome. And so it was great having you as usual. And thank you for coming on, brother. Oh, I always appreciate it. I always we appreciate it. We got the fist bump, of course. And yeah. Jimmy and I usually, like what was last time, was we called the last podcast we did together a table full of beers. Yes. A table full of cans. <laughs> so it's a little different. Yes. We, but the conversation was and just I always end every class now uh, since COVID. I always say, listen, there's enough hate in the world, people. Be nice to one another. <laughs> so encourage everybody to do that. There's enough hate in the world. Just get along. Awesome. Now's the time to do more and be more. 